Hi, my name is Sherry Doherty, and I'm a 54-year-old lady in red, in act two of my career and living my best life. My perspective on life and behaviors have been governed by who I was as a child, who I became, and who I am still striving to be. People my age are beautiful, bold, confident, and full of wisdom. And truly, the encore of the story of your life is still when the best songs are yet to be sung. My mission in this podcast is to shine the spotlight on people like me, have real conversations about reinvention stories, and inspire you to continue to follow your dreams regardless of your age. I'm doing it for Daisy. Who are you doing it for? Good day and welcome to today's episode of the Encore podcast. I am delighted to have with us today, Wendy Brookhouse. And Wendy was referred to me through a couple of mutual connections who said, this lady's doing something really interesting and really different. You need to bring her on for your listeners so we can hear what her approach is, her story and how she is helping people manage their Encore seasons of their lives. So Wendy graciously agreed to chat with us all today, and Wendy is a financial advisor and money coach and the founder of Black Star Wealth. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm absolutely delighted to be here, Sherry. Great. I'm very excited to dive right in because so many people mentioned your name. It was one of those got to get moments, I think. So before we jump into what you're doing today, which is so, so valuable to people who are in our season, I wanted to just go back a little bit so we can understand who you are. And like all of my guests, I would ask, can you share your story? So who is Wendy? Where are you born and raised? What was your childhood Uh like? Was there any highlights or lowlights that you'd like to share? And then your building years, you know, buying houses, building careers, getting married, getting divorced, if that's applicable. Just kind of tell us the Wendy story. So I was actually born in Montreal and my parents were in McDonald College. So I was actually raised for the first couple of years in the um, married quarters of McDonald College, which is now part of McGill. And then my dad got a job at the Agriculture College in Truro, Nova Scotia. And so we ended up moving down and, and he bought a farm about an hour outside of Truro. And so uh, interesting is I grew up on a farm. And so I hate, I picked rocks. My mom had a vegetable garden that was really the size of a football field. And I was not allowed to play sports or go swimming until my one third was weeded and tended to. And so uh, I always joke that I did more hard labor before I was 16 that I really have no need to do anymore. That right. was my... That was my <laughs> But honestly, I do think if I had had children, which I did not, I thought, you know, that growing up in the country where you have uh, those chores and those other things to do, it, it really is a work ethic that's instilled to you really early in life um, that I, you know, probably appreciate way more now, Sherry, than I did back then. <laughs> and my mom baked bread. And so really, I didn't have a whole lot of processed foods or anything because everything was kind of from the land if you will to some degree and you know this is true because puffed wheat was a delicacy and a treat for me (laughs) if you remember (laughs) the big bags of puffed wheat (laughs) yes and so that's how I grew up and I think there's a lot of self-reliance there a lot of if you want something done you got to do it yourself type of an attitude that came about as a result okay. of that. Yeah. Do you have any siblings or anything? I have a younger brother. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's uh, ingenuity and inventiveness to us because we actually invented 
the two-person baseball game. Oh, okay. Yes. Now, there were some specific rules based on where we played. Like, if you hit it over the road, that was an automatic double. If you hit it into the somewhere else, it was a double. You know, like, so we had rules. that were, But it was quite fun when we played that. Okay. And then how about post-secondary education and your 20s? What did those Right. Look? So I don't know what it was. I think it was in grade nine that I kind of figured out the foreign exchange and that I could make money on the foreign exchange if you bought high. You know what I mean? So I was like, oh, I'm going into business. Definitely. So at that point, St. Mary's University in Halifax was the business school of the Maritimes, if you will. So that's the only place I applied. And so I did my undergrad there. I did a double major of finance and management. Uh, then I went off into the working world right in the middle of a recession, Sherry. It was beautiful. So I actually did so much temp work back then. Like that's how I became employed was actually working temp work. So, you know, going in for a week here, a month there, that type of stuff. So I really got to see a lot of different workplaces and see how other people manage stuff um, before I actually landed a first full-time job, which was even a mat leave. So it even wasn't permanent for it took a long time to get permanent work back then. There's a theme of creativity in you. I can hear it already. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a, one of those things when uh, people that goes, oh, there's there's a wall someone has put up. Hmm. I need to get around that wall. Am I going to go over it? Am I going to go under it? Am I going to go around it? Do I need to blow it up? So I'm very much of staying focused on the goal and then being creative about how you achieve it. Great. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so regular jobs. And then I think it was in my 30s. So I started my executive MBA, which I got at St. Mary's as well. Oh. And uh, I was doing customer service work. And then I was uh, working at an internet company. I was VP finance and marketing. And uh, then the tech boom ended. And so next thing you know, I'm self-employed, Sherry. A place I really <laughs> didn't think I ever would be. Okay. Um, and so I was doing more strategic consulting back then, business consulting. So I would write business plans, marketing plans, all those types of uh, really deep thinking plans for people. And one of the things I think that I carried over into, into the finance world was I really focused not only on the what to do, but here's how, right? I, I really, really disliked uh, plans that people said, well, this is what you should do. Not how. Right. Just, this is it. You should export to the U.S. Oh, okay. And there you go. Done. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus, okay, here's the three steps. So I write a business plan. I would actually have an appendix going, here are 10 people that could potentially help you with X, Y, and Z that you need to do on your plan so that it wasn't just a, here you go. Good luck. That's really valuable. Yeah. And I translate that over into my financial plans. I joke a lot when I got into this industry that I came in as an independent right away. And there was good and bad to that. So the first few years, I felt like I was fighting my way out of a wet paper bag because so much of um, it was unknown. But I, I've always built uh, on a philosophy of I don't need to know all the answers, but I need to know good questions because the answers in many cases, like especially in this world with taxes and everything else, they shift all the time. Yeah. So memorizing answers isn't the way forward in this industry. It's being curious and then building that reservoir of who can I call to find out what the answer to that is, is more important than actually knowing every answer that there is. That's right? great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the CFP, I did mine a few years ago, they have 1500 concepts 
they can test you on. Oh boy. Okay. And you're only, they're going to ask you on 150 of them or something like that nature. So 1500 things that are shifting constantly. So you oh can't be expected to know everything. Or not, and I think anyone who comes across and says, blah, 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 all the time, I know everything. I would be more concerned about that attitude than someone goes, that's a great question. Let me go find out. Yeah, I 100% agree. Actually, I do the same thing in my line of work. Right. I do not make things up because it is so important. You and I are both dealing pretty much with people's life savings. Yes. And I want to make sure that I'm really, really right before yeah. I encourage someone to spend their life savings. Absolutely. And you can't make assumptions, right? right. So there's a couple places that I find assumptions can be made sometimes in, in this. And that is people who have certain titles, we imbue them with a certain amount of sophistication based on their education. Oh, you're a lawyer. Oh, you do this. Oh, you're a doctor. And then we decide that, oh, this is the level of knowledge they have when they may have none. Right. So I believe it's really important uh, to come in assuming and letting that, let us build where your knowledge is over time, but not make any assumptions on that way. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Right. So you find yourself self-employed. Yes. And how did that go? Well, I mean... Again, the wet paper bag thing, but as you grow, I had a great mentor who said, you're at point A and you want to get to point B, and I'm here to tell you it's not a straight path. It takes time. It's like these circles that get bigger, get you closer and closer, so every year you get closer to B, but it's not going to happen overnight, and he was so, so right, and so that has been a very much a good motto, and the other thing, too, is coming in the way I did, I had no one telling me this is the way it's done. And I think that allowed me to actually go, what do people really need? Right. What advice do they want? How can I help them in ways that will make and transform their lives? Right. Because when we look at money, there's emotion attached to it and it's, it's woven its tentacles into it and it starts at a really young age. And so, you know, we have to pull that apart to some degree, which is why I think actually EQ can, to some degree may be more important in your head advisor than IQ. Okay. Because they have to pull these things away because sometimes the ideal answer will keep you up at night. Right. So we got to get you to sleep. And we our job is to actually move you closer to the ideal over time by building your confidence, by building your strengths, by making uh, education and all those pieces that will help you get closer to um, the ideal solutions so that they match what you what you can sleep with at night. Right. That's, that sounds beautiful. So tell me about the business today, what it is you do, what you specialize in, and how you serve the community. I do tend to uh, specialize in entrepreneurs because I have a bigger tool chest, right? So, uh, you know, when we get in dealing with a business owner, there's, you know, typically a corporation, there may be hold codes, there may be some sophistication or complexity that just makes it a little more exciting to sink my teeth in. But at the end of the day, um, what people are going to try and achieve is different as well. So that's where I get to keep my freshness is that every person is striving for a different vision, a different goal. And I just take my tool chest and I figure out how to put the pieces together to help them achieve that goal. But, you know, my tools, what I use with you, Sherry, could be completely different from someone else. Right. Because your goals are different. Right? Great because no one wants an off-the-shelf solution because none of us have the same off-the-shelf life. It's so true. Now, my process is very similar through everybody, but at the same time, uh, there's still creativity. Every plan that comes out of our shop is very bespoke, very customized, very dealing with that person's unique situation and unique goals and aspirations. 
And sometimes they need different coaching as well to help them maintain the course. So do you do money mindset work with your clients? Just a tad, not a ton, Sherry. What I like to do is surface some of the unconscious biases and technical term in the behavioral finance world is heuristics, right? So heuristics are those shortcuts our mind will take some time. Let's talk about recency bias, right? So the last time I read the news, I read these three articles about X. Well, that recency bias means I'm going to assume that that's true to a number of things, right? So being aware of the different types of biases that may be affecting you is one big thing. The second thing is understanding the influence that different people had as we were growing up and pulling that out. So some of the questions I will ask people is one, you know, what's your first memory of money? Tell me something your parents did with money that you would like to copy. Tell me something that your parents did with money that you never want to do. Right. And by surfacing these things out of the unconscious into the conscious, the mind can start working on them and understanding Are they still serving me? Because some of those messages might be actually why you're successful or not, right? So we don't necessarily want to blow everything up, but we do want to be aware of the programming. Right. That's really interesting. And I, as I've shared with the listeners, and I'm not sure if you've clued or heard, but I actually have written a book about that very thing. So it's not published yet. It's just in some pre-reads with some personal friends and people I respect and admire, but literally it is about a very early memory of a money experience, Mm -hmm. lacking experience as a child that literally has formed who I am. Yeah, I've done a lot of work to unpack that and realize that it doesn't serve me anymore, but it has influenced the way that I've done things throughout my life as it comes to money. And it's really, I love that question that you asked about, you know, what's your very first memory of money? Was it your parents saying money doesn't grow on trees? We don't have any, that's for other people. All those rich people are so bad. Money's evil, all those things. Or Was it just, you know, it flows and it comes when it needs to, and there's faith and belief that there will always be enough and all those good messages. Yeah. It it is really good reflection and good work for people to take the time to even just think that through or even talk it with their partner or friend or someone that they respect. That's that's a great little nugget. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, sometimes I will say this at the I say there's 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 three of us. Like if I'm dealing with a couple. I said, yeah, there's three of us sitting here, but there's actually six of us at the table because it's your parents. And if this is a second marriage for you, we might even have eight. I don't know. Right. So (laughs) being aware that there are things that have happened in your past that are influencing your thinking today is so very important. Right. Absolutely. If I could add one little thing, I'm not trying to fix it. Right. Sometimes what I try and do is actually build a whole new pattern and habit so that that old stuff can be left behind versus trying to solve it. Right. That's wonderful. I've been trying to build the muscle as it relates to paying yourself first. So I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've read most of the gurus and money managers saying like, pay yourself like it's a bill. If you get $200, put 20 away and you're never, ever, ever fund because that's going to become the magical compounding interest over your lifetime. And it is, I feel like we're still in the building the muscle stage. And it feels funny because sometimes 
it's only 50. So I'm putting five in the never, ever, ever fund, but it's about doing the reps and yeah. building the muscle. So it's really fun. Uh, you know, we've done fine all along the way, but we're trying to get stronger and stronger and stronger and build these new habits. Yeah. And I think that that's a wonderful and simple one, right? I totally agree. And wherever possible, automate. So I run into a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who will move money back and forth between the personal and the business almost instantly. When it, yeah, but more about when, oh my gosh, my bank account's low, I should move some money over. No, automate your paying yourself from your business. Okay. Take that stress off your mind because every time you don't automate something, it's something else on your to-do list that your mind is reminding yourself, oh, did you do that? Oh my God, the mortgage is due today. Did you move the money over versus making a plan and automating that piece to come to move over? So would that look like in practical sense in account A, there's some sort of rule that says when the balance falls below $100, go to account B and account B automatically sends a thousand? I'm more of a sense of personal versus business. Okay. So what we, what I tend to do is let's look at what the cost of your personal life is. And if you are both entrepreneurs, then there's a little bit more complexity. But if one of you is not, then I know, okay, that person's bringing in next in order to live the lifestyle that you desire, plus save for the future, plus, 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 this is how much after tax dollars Sherry needs to pull over. Right. And then we automate it so that okay. every month or every, every twice a month, the amount required moves over. Okay. Understood. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. So it's a little different than what you're doing, but I would automate the savings piece off that as well. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Thank you. Many of our listeners are over the age of 50. Yeah. That is our target audience. And lots of times people over the age of 50 find themselves with some money. Yes. If they have worked hard and they've done some good things and, you know, reap the benefits. Yeah. And now they are done potentially paying for a mortgage, paying for kids in daycare or expensive activities yeah. or paying university for said kids and things yeah. like that. Suddenly they have some discretionary income, but also are not looking at a very short runway to retirement. Yeah. And so you say turn 50 and think, okay, all those big life expenses are done for me and I have 15 more years. How do I power save so that I can live the retirement that I imagine? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on what you could share with your listeners on some quick Absolutely. So when it comes to all of those pieces, there's a couple levels to unpack there. But first and foremost is what I like to do is look at your spending today. You know, now that all they're gone, what do we got coming in? What's available? Uh, how much of that can we save? All right. And then I'm also looking at, oh, okay, now let's play with, take that spending schedule and go, what's going to change when we stop working? Is it going to be, um, what's going away? Parking parking at the office that costs me $200 a month. Okay, that's okay. What's coming in? Oh my gosh. Well, now. Now, because I love golf, I'm going to join that uh, golf club because I have time to do that. Oh, well, let's add that in. And what's going to stay the same, right? So obviously, these are things to compete up. What I like to do then is I add that up and I go, oh, this is the after-tax lifestyle requirements. And that's where I start using some of my softwares and I start going, okay, whew, 
based on what they're doing now, here are where the potential gaps are, or are there gaps? Oh no, what you're doing right now based on this rate of return will give you more than sufficient money to last you until 100, to 95, all those pieces. And just working that through to identify the gaps and how are we going to cover them off? And the other thing is, is that depending on the situation, there may be enough money that maybe you don't need to take risk with it anymore. Like, why are we putting money into speculative stocks or anything of that nature? And I'm, like, I'm using that term loosely, Sherry, but let's say we know investing in the market does contain some element of risk. Right. And if you have more than enough that you don't need to make any more money on the money, that's a good place to know and to know that you're there because then you can make decisions that maybe I don't need to be in the market. And that is so antithetical coming from an advisor who, you know, but I really try and focus on what's the important part and it may or may not be putting money into the market. That's a knowing that that's an option, right? So my friends were right that said you had an interesting and different approach. I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) That, Those are great. I, I love the way you're positioning the questions to make people think. And actually think a little bit different. So great exploratory conversation. And we're just skimming the surface, I'm sure. Oh my gosh, yes. The only thing I would say is what I really dislike, Sherry, is the rule of thumb that you need X percent or X dollars or whatever in retirement. That's why I do that very, it's a very uh, in deep dive to understand what that after work number might should be. And there's some confidence that you will get by doing that work because you're like, okay, we have contemplated everything. Right. I have built out the travel fund. I've built my golf fund. I've got my spa days, whatever. We've we've covered that all off and we know what that's going to cost in today's dollars. We just apply inflation to it to see where we have to get to. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Another thing, if I may, that often happens to people of my generation or my age is, unfortunately, but it's going to happen, we inherit some money. Mm -hmm. So there is often a family estate that's being wrapped up. In my case, you know, my father has passed on, but my mother's still alive and we hope to have her for another 20 years. A lot of people my age I know are learning way more than they ever expected about inheritance and inheritance tax. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible in my opinion. However, we'll leave that aside. It's interesting to think, you know, should I come into a large sum of money unexpectedly, what is the right thing to do with it? And there's so much emotion tied to it, obviously, because it is your um, family heirloom. Yeah. And, you know, my knee-jerk reaction would be then, oh, I'll just pay off all of my debt. Mm -hmm. But I know there's also schools of thought that like some debt is good and that it would maybe better serve to earn a higher interest rate Mm -hmm. on your investment versus pay off a low-yielding debt. Right. And do you encounter that a lot with your clients? Sure. So let's 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 go to a lower age bracket for a second, Sherry, or a lower amount. So if you're getting substantial money, then that's there's a whole complexity we're gonna to want to build around that. Do you have family? What are your legacy issues? We start really thinking about the end game for uh you got for the for the client or the person because we're like, okay, you're 50 now, chances are you'll live till not, you know, 70, 90, whatever it is, and you have kids, you're going to have grandkids, you're going to have whatever, what are your intentions for them? Because that can influence a lot of decisions along the way. Um, so it's that balancing out the today versus tomorrow, which is a very key thing to understand. If it's a smaller inheritance, sometimes I'll say, you know what, 
You could pay some debt off, but why don't you buy something significant to remind you of that person that you need? Like if it's a trip or something, like when my grandfather passed, my husband and I, we did a 12-day Mediterranean cruise funded by part of my inheritance. And that gave us so many memories, you know, like I feel so good knowing that my grandfather contributed to that. Wow. Wonderful experience. Too. Yeah. Right. And so I really do encourage people to think a little bit about that piece as well. Now, if you're in a crisis situation with debt, that may not even be an option, right? Let's clear the decks on that. See, so it's so specific to that person and what their goals are and what their current situation is. Now I do tend, if everything's in hand, let's say we've got regular debt repayment structured, we've got investments structured, we've planned it, we know what we're doing. A lot of times what I do for bonus money is we develop a formula. Now I have a formula that's pretty standard, but depending on the situation, we can amend it and change things. But I tend to look at one third, one third, one third. Okay. Right? And my one thirds are pay down debt, one third, one third goes to savings for the future, and one third goes to fund. Obviously, depending on the amounts, you may amend that. Right. But what I like about that is debt is really something you spent yesterday. It's yesterday's money. Fund today is today's dollars, and saving for the future is tomorrow. So you're covering the complete time frame with that type of a structure. That's great. Yeah, I really do like that structure as well. Yeah, it, it really takes some of the pressure off too from decision making because we're all so tired of making decisions. It's a real thing, the fatigue around it. So if you already have, listen, in our plan right now, 25% is being saved for the big safari we're going to do in five years. 25% goes here or, you know, my one third, one third, one third. Like you can have that template built in advance. So anytime extra money comes in, uh, then you can just allocate it based on the formula. It's not a new, it's not a new, oh my God, now what do I do? Right. No, that's fantastic. I honestly, I could, I can think of a hundred questions to just keep coming. <laughs> and I would love to, you know, sit with you all afternoon in person and have a coffee and pick your brain because you do have a really interesting and unique approach. And I really like the fact that you answer questions in a way that is understandable. Hmm. It's, it's all a little bit intimidating and it's all very sure. complex. And I know before we were chatting, you were talking often about, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, men pass away before women uh -huh. and women are left not knowing. And so you're going to need to be able to communicate with them in a way that is not going to be intimidating or scary to help yeah. them get through this massive change just in their life, let alone now having to manage the finances. Yeah. Ever in the past. I have had widows and one of the things I like to get them to the point where I can look them in the eye and say, you're okay for money. Like, right. I really like when I can do that. Number one, number two, what you need to know is I'm always going to do what's best for you. Like you are number one all the way. And number three, I know that what we're talking about, you may not a hundred percent understand just based on where you're at and that's okay. Because what I do know is if we meet on a regular basis and you ask me the same questions every time, something else will stick each time. Right. And so it's okay if you forget. It's okay if you have a question about anything. It, you know, that that's the don't feel silly because that's just where you're at. You're in a transition period of time. Your brain is not working the same way anymore right now. And until it is. Just know we're here for you to answer any of those questions 20 times if you need it. 
Right. That's beautiful. I would absolutely trust you. (laughs) (laughs) So Wendy, how old are you and what does future Wendy look like? Oh, I am 53. Future Wendy is in flux. I'm trying to decide what I really want to be when I grow up, Sherry. So, (laughs) you know, there's this big part of me that wants to take what I do in my methodologies, train other advisors so that, you know, I can spread the love in that way versus, you know, just keeping it small and a little more manageable. So it's one of those, you know, do you, don't you grow or not grow? So, but at the same time, what I do know is the work we do transforms lives. We reduce the stress and anxiety of people around money. This is where my 30,000 foot view comes from, is that when we do that, when someone has no stress or much reduced stress and anxiety around money, they're different people. Yeah. And that means that energy, those voices in their head, they're quiet. So now the energy that was spent worrying and being anxious about money and what's going to happen in my future can now be redirected to your family, to your career, to your community. And that will be my way of making the world a better place. Oh, that's lovely. If anyone wanted to reach out to you and get in touch with you, how would they do that? Well, they can send me a quick email, wendy at blackstarwealth.com. They can connect with me on LinkedIn at Wendy Brookhouse. And those are probably the two best ways to get hold of me. Wonderful. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate your time this afternoon. You were very interesting and I wish we had so much more time to talk. I uh, would love to maybe have an encore. We can do it. It's an intentional pun there. Have an encore conversation about this. If the listeners have any feedback, perhaps they can comment or send either one of us a, a reach out and mm-hmm. even maybe do a, a live Q&A or something. Oh, else. absolutely. More than happy to do that, Sherry. Yeah, I have a pretty big community of encore people and then just people in my client database that are always interested in this kind of topic, but in a comfortable environment. So maybe we'll do that in the future as well. That sounds awesome. All right. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. And I wish you and all of the listeners a wonderful day today.